0: Matthew records that Jesus, in his teaching, said this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Last Sunday night, my wife Mary and I were watching Downton Abbey. If you're not a fan, it's a PBS drama about an aristocratic family in the early 1900s. They tell the story of the servants as well as the aristocracy. A few episodes back, one of the beloved characters was raped. Nothing happened for a few episodes, and then last Sunday night, the husband... Of the one who was raped Found out who the perpetrator was He asked for a day off He went to the town Where he knew the perpetrator lived And at the very end of the episode The word had come back to the house That this person that had visited Not so long ago Had mysteriously fallen In front of a train or a bus And been killed As the episode ended, I looked at my wife and said, I want to be a Christian, but I'm glad that guy died. (laughs) I wanted him killed. Now, it's a nice drama. It reels you in. It was a sympathetic character and one not so sympathetic. That was Sunday night on Monday morning, Monday afternoon. I'm reading through our text for today. And I'm thinking, oh my. (laughs) I think Jesus is addressing me this week. I wanted to respond to violence with violence. It's a pretty common human reaction. If someone gets you, you're going to get them back. But Matthew says in this key part of his gospel that as Jesus is teaching his followers, his disciples... That he raises the bar so to speak I think Jesus is saying there's a higher calling than meeting violence with violence Oh it may be harder it may be more challenging But Jesus is telling his followers this is the way to life This is the way to blessing in this whole section of Matthew, this Sermon on the Mount as it is known, it's 5, six, seventh 7th chapter, Jesus is laying out the kind of lifestyle he understands leads to life in harmony with God and God's will. This is the path of blessing. I've been doing this sermon series talking about Jesus as a man for the people. He's one who's trying to Bless the people he cares about the common people he leaves the synagogues goes out in the countryside Seeks out those on the margins and says there is a way for you to be connected with this loving God And it's a way to life and it's a way of blessing In the first sermon we talked about Chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 the Beatitudes I suggested to you that what Jesus was teaching there was a way of life and that these blessings he was talking about That these blessings are tied to a covenant understanding of life with God at the center of our identity and our behavior. We talked about how this right relationship with God that comes from a covenant commitment from God to us and us back to God is the way to life. And that perhaps we need to trust God a little bit more. And I suggested that the most important implication for us was when we're dealing with life's griefs and burdens that we hand them off to God. I use the illustration, you might remember, that it's not how heavy the burden, but how long we try to hold it. And I left you with the question, what can you hand to God today? What could you hand to God? Then in the next Sermon we move to chapter 5 verses 13 through 20 in that piece of scripture Jesus says you are the light to these disciples these followers these listeners he says you are the light and I was contending that when Jesus talks about righteousness in the kingdom of heaven he means loving more fully now whenever he violated a scribal or oral law it was so he could love and serve people more fully. That when he talks about righteousness exceeding that of the Pharisees, it was not living by the minute letter of the law, but by fulfilling or embodying this love of God that comes once you understand this covenant relationship. And I left you with the challenge out of verse 16 where Jesus says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Notice that Jesus assumes that you understand that the God of heaven and earth is your Father. The God of all creation is your Father. That this God cares about you. Early in this chapter, he uses that phrase over and over again, your Father. It was in the very last verse we read today, Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus continues to stress that our relationship with God is one of intimacy, is one of closeness, that God loves us like the best Father ever and wants to be closer to us than we can even comprehend. But we have to begin to understand how powerful this love is and what kind of love comes from God if we're going to understand the wonder and majesty of these teachings that Jesus is revealing or God is revealing through Jesus as we go through the gospel. Do you know the name John Eldridge? He is a Christian writer. He deals mostly with issues... ...with men around their emotional and spiritual health. He's done a good deal of reflection on his own spiritual life as a man. He thinks the church has not done a very good job at nurturing spirituality for men. He's the father of three boys. He's raising them, trying to help form and shape them into Christians. He does lots of workshops for men across this country. And he writes in one of his books... Now what he finds is that men simply, on the most part, do not understand this intimate relationship with God. He says, oh, most of them get that if they're a Christian, that there's forgiveness that comes from God through Christ. But they do not understand this closeness of a father-son relationship. Let me read you just a few sentences out of one of his books. He writes, forgiveness... Is not the goal. Coming home to the Father is the goal. So a man calls himself a Christian, attends church, has hope of heaven when he dies, but this man has not received the lion's share of what God intended him to receive through the work of Christ. He will find himself living still very much alone. Stuck in his journey wondering why he cannot become the man he longs to be. He references the story of the prodigal son. And understanding that no matter where you've been or what you've done. That this God that Jesus calls Father, Abba, Daddy is ready to embrace you again. This is one of the challenges of the Christian faith. One of the great challenges of the Christian faith is to believe that God really loves you personally. That God really loves each one of us in a very personal way. That no matter where you've been or what you've done or what you've failed to do, for so many of us, when we looked at those places that we feel like we have stumbled or where we have fallen or where we have fallen short, we don't think that God will still love us if God knows. But let me tell you, God knows. And God still loves you. That's the promise. Of the revelation of God's love through Jesus Christ. That's the promise of the gospel. That God's love is so magnanimous. That not only will God forgive you. But God still wants to love you. And be close to you. And bless your life. The last verse talks about being perfect. As God is perfect. It's Perfect love is what I'm going to suggest to you this morning that Jesus is talking about perfect love from God. That even though we are imperfect, this perfect love of God can still transform us into the people God intends for us to be. But we need to make sure that we understand this word perfect Because most of us think of it from the Latin root. It's used most commonly in the English language from the Latin root perfectio. Which refers to sort of a static finished state. A flawless state. And we all think, oh no, that's not me. But in our scriptures it comes from the Greek. And it has a different meaning or a different understanding. In the Greek, perfect is closer to wholeness or maturity. It has a a greater sense of a growth dynamic. The perfect love can grow within us. We also need to remember that in the Greek, in our Christian scriptures, the word for love that's most often used is agape. And agape doesn't mean romantic love the way we use it so often in our language or warm feelings toward another person. But agape love is to will the good. To want the good for another. To do what it takes to bring good or blessing to another person. John Wesley read his Bible a lot. And as he read through his Bible, he ran across... Chapter 5, verse 48, and a number of other verses in the Bible. And he began to see this idea of God making us perfect in love over and over again. And so he began to write about it and teach people about it. And as he was teaching and leading the Methodist people and organizing them, he was teaching them about God making us perfect in love. And he began to, to be attacked for it. He began to be attacked for talking about Christian perfection. He wrote this to those who attacked him. I do teach perfection, yet this is not my doctrine. It is God's doctrine, peculiarly, emphatically God's. It is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Those are his words, not mine. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But we need to understand perfect love or Christian perfection in this light is letting your relationship with God so transform you or spiritually mature you that this agape love motivates everything you say or do. Christian perfection is not that we won't make mistakes, but that we'll let God's life so live in us That our motivation is always to do good, to will the good for another, to show God's love that we have come to know to our brothers and sisters that we encounter along life's journey. So let's look back into this text to see how Jesus kind of introduces this. Back up in verse 44, if you have your Bibles open, Jesus says, Right after he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The way that is phrased is a very common form of Hebrew poetry or Hebrew teaching. It's called a couplet where two similar phrases are put together and they mean very much the same thing. They parallel each other or complement each other. You see this a lot in the Hebrew scriptures. If we flip back over to the Psalms, you'll see this kind of phrase over and over. I'm gonna suggest we look at Psalm 100 for just a second to see how this couplet works. I think it'll help us understand what Jesus is teaching here. If you look at Psalm 100 in the first verse, make a joyful noise to the Lord, Come into his presence with singing You see the parallels? Or in verse 3 It is God that made us and we are his And then right under that we are his people And the sheep of his pasture Same idea just amplified a little by the next phrase Or in the last verse of Psalm 100 For the Lord is good and then this His steadfast love endures forever And his faithfulness to all generations. These are similar ideas that are put together. That follow right upon each other. That's what Jesus is doing in verse 44. But I say to you, you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Or love and will the good for your enemies and pray for the good. Of those who persecute you, you see it's a, the same kind of idea or the similar idea, but amplified For a fuller meaning Jesus is coupling loving and praying as Constituent elements in the Christian life as a key combo that have to go together if we're going to be all that God wants us to be He is saying that that is without prayer or connection with God we will not be able to love as God loves That we have to be in connection with God In prayer In conversation In constant dialogue with God If God's going to truly transform us So that we might be able to love our enemies Pray for those who persecute us To love as God loves Then there's more though In verse 45 he says So that you may be children of your Father in heaven See we're not Praying for our enemies just for their sake, but also it's going to transform us so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. There's that phrase again, your Father, this idea of the intimate connection that we need to have with God. It's so important that we understand that Jesus' understanding of this God who's creator of the universe is also our parent. And that this parent-child relationship is at the heart of everything else that's going to happen in our lives. That we are going to, in fact, as we walk into this relationship with God, that we're going to begin to reflect the divine nature. Just like a child might reflect the nature of their human parent. So that we can love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So that we may be children of God. The good news for us is that this is possible because God is at work in us. It's not just us doing it, but God in us. With that understanding, let me read those last few verses again. I think the meaning will become clearer. I'm going to read 43 through 48 for you again. Jesus is speaking You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, I would suggest you think, in love Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The loving and praying have to be together. If we're going to experience all that Jesus is talking about in this path of discipleship, the loving and praying have to go together. If we're going to love our enemies, God has to be working in us. We're not going to do it naturally. So, back to my opening story something really terrible has happened. We want to seek vengeance. We want to strike back. And Jesus says when we feel that way, there's a better response. It might be harder. It might be more challenging. But there's a better way. And it will be a way of blessing for you. Moreover, Jesus commands us to do this. To strive for this kind of agape love or perfect love, motivation, or inclusive love, whatever you want to call it. It's a command, in verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's about time to close, but the question is hanging here for us. Will we hear the command? Do we hear the command We have said that we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. God is revealing the way to life for us. And the question is, do we listen? Can we hear the command? And even though at first blush we think, I couldn't be like that. Trusting God more. That through loving and praying, God might truly transform us into those who could in fact Love your enemies, that we could love our neighbors, even those that we despise, even those that we think might be evil or unrighteous are the words Jesus uses in this passage, even those that God could change us so much that we could will the